Hello and welcome to Rocket Accelerated Geek Conversation. I'm Samantha Rochefort, a senior video producer at Polygon, and I'm joined tonight by Brianna Wu, executive director of Rebellion Pack. Christina is out this week for Thanksgiving family shenanigans, but we have a fun show in store for you in any case. I think this is a fun show. This is going to be, I can guarantee, fun tonight. I I think so, too. And listeners, you can get your money back. (laughs) Unless you're actually a Relay FM subscriber and you're actually paying money for it. (laughs) No, we can't. No, we can't make that promise. But your free money that you get from subscribing to podcasts. How about Simone dollars? You can give them a refund of Simone dollars. Unfortunately, I'm no longer allowed to take back Simone dollars. Uh, Every (laughs) time I've previously done this, it causes the economy to crumble in (laughs) unexpected and unfortunate ways. Uh, So I've been told those need to remain in circulation indefinitely. Yeah, you really should. I think you have enough of a cult following. You could have the the (laughs) currency. I, it would be morally uh, objectionable and completely off brand, but I think you could do it. To make my own, like, uh, paper currency? Simone or did coin. you say Bitcoin? No, Simone, Simone coin. Simone coin. <laughs> <laughs> it's just every day you open it up and it gives you a random amount. You oh, don't God. know what it's going to be. It could go up, it could go down. <laughs> you just don't know. Just like my mood. Ha ha ha. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, we do have a fun show for you tonight. Like Bree said, uh, we're going to start things off with an update. So obviously last week we had Nick Guy on uh, as representative of Wirecutter Union to talk about what Wirecutter U- is doing over there uh, with the New York Times in regards to their attempts to bargain with them. They are trying to get a deal on the table with the New York Times, who is their parent company. Um, they have not reached a deal as of our recording on 8 p.m. Wednesday uh, before Thanksgiving, so November 24th. So as of now, Wirecutter is actually striking on Black Friday. So if you are doing Black Friday shopping, uh, they're asking people not to cross the digital picket line um, and to not use Wirecutter's affiliate links. Um, I think that's the main issue. So if you... I don't know <laughs> if I should say that, like, maybe it would be okay if you, like, looked at the website and then did not use an affiliate link. I'm not sure because, like, the whole team is not writing, so they won't be, like, they won't have the freshest details unless the writers are crossing the picket line. So, yeah, it's probably best to not use the website at all on Friday if you would like to honor uh, what the workers are asking for there. Again, as a reminder, they're being massively underpaid compared to like the New York Times newsroom. And there's actually a a piece in uh, The Intelligencer, uh, which is owned by New York Mag, who is uh, part of the Vox Media Network. Disclosure uh, by Corey Sika about the their situation at the New York times and also the, the kind of attitude from the times newsroom towards wire cutter workers when, when wire cutter was first acquired by the times, which has kind of been a bit snobby for lack of a better word. I was pretty angry at this article. I don't know how you felt, but the the details in there about the slack room (laughs) just made me so angry. We had this guy that's in charge of all the product at New York times. And he's like, Oh, you know, we've we've tried to negotiate in good faith, and this should be a really serious tactic for really serious situations. And we literally had, like, they were literally here last week to say, look, we offered this date and this date and this date and this date and this date, trying to avoid this outcome, and they just didn't show up. So it's like, yeah. Y'all made your bed and you should sleep in it, I think, in my opinion. Absolutely. Yeah, they had dates to negotiate. They are trying to stonewall uh, the union efforts. And I I guess in defense of the New York Times newsroom, the New York Times union did offer one of their bargaining dates uh, and the company refused that as well. So... Uh, I don't know how seriously the New York Times is taking it. Uh, so hopefully, like, the, this is a, a great chance to just make a dent um, in, in in their traffic and show the New York Times that you support the union if you support the union. Um, and hey, you know what? 
Black Friday sucks anyway. Why don't you just take a break? <laughs> right. 100%. <laughs> All right. Uh, so uh, the rest of our show today, we're going to be talking about some Peloton issues. We're going to be talking about Master Chief's P. But first, we're going to talk about a video <laughs> that I put out this week. Uh, I would introduce the topic, but I feel like I'm going to be doing a lot of talking during the topic. So, Brianna, would you like to tell me why why you wanted why you suggested this today? It was very I nice would. of you. <laughs> so, you know, there is a really interesting discussion to be had about uh, digital recreation in video games. Uh, you know, we had uh, like video games coming out. Uh, as 9-11 happened, right? And there were real discussions about uh, like taking down the Twin Towers, right? Is that respectful or is it leaving art the way it should be left in a game? Uh, there's a really fascinating article in Polygon this week about uh, a less terroristy <laughs> dilemma as far as video game representation. And uh, I read this, I was like, wow, this is an article Simone would love. And then I clicked it and I'm like, oh, Simone actually wrote this. So, <laughs> so tell everybody about this. Uh, it involves my two favorite subjects, uh, classical paintings and Assassin's Creed. Yay. Uh, thank you so much for reading. So I teased this a bit last week, but I had a, a video go up about Notre Dame and Assassin's Creed Unity. And basically the genesis of this was that after Notre Dame caught fire in April of 2019, uh, the, the spire was destroyed. It came down the wooden roof that was covering the stone vault, uh, which is the part of the roof that you would see from inside the cathedral. Uh, that wooden roof burned. Uh, the stone vault was very weakened. Part of it has collapsed. Um, the cathedral is in not great shape and is still under a lot of scaffolding. But after this fire, I saw several articles uh, with headlines suggesting, oh, my God, it's our time. Assassin's Creed Unity has a incredibly detailed, basically perfect 3D model of Notre Dame. What if they use this to help restore the cathedral? And this spread throughout various different media. It was written about on Esquire, on Mashable, on uh, basically for on a small publication called Game Byte. Publications large and small kind of wrote about it with varying degrees of credulity. And it got to the point where I kind of I, I had kind of internalized it. And last year when we were doing a uh, a project about video games and how they interface with other media. I wanted to do a video about architecture. And my initial thought was, oh, well, wait, isn't Ubisoft doing something with the Notre Dame restoration? And I went and I just looked up an article uh, from The Guardian, actually, and realized, oh, no, this is actually just not happening at all. This is something that nobody has said would happen. Uh, Ubisoft, in response to The Guardian's uh, reaching out for comments, said, if they want to, yeah, we will. Uh, they ended up donating f over. Uh, they ended up donating five hundred thousand euros to the uh, the restoration, and they made Unity free on PC for a week. Uh, but they never said that they would donate their beautiful, intricate three D models. And I started thinking, I wonder why that is. Uh, so I looked into it, and I learned a lot. A about how uh, Assassin how Assassin's Creed Unity recreated Notre Dame. Um, why the Notre Dame that's in that game is not actually accurate to the real life one. Um, and then how the actual cathedral is being restored. And it is so, a really, so let's really take this one at a time. Process. Like let's yeah. so talking about the technology right off the top. Tell us about that because uh, you know, when it comes to scanning 3D uh, objects, you know, one of the it, it's really, really, really hard to do. I mean, even like the the commercial scanners that they use in like Forza or something like that, like it, it you really need a material specialist to go through and like make a surface look like a surface, especially for a classical piece of art like this, because it's not just the, mm -hmm. the color, it's not just a color map, right? It's, it's the texture of the stone, it's the cracks in the stones and all of that. So what was the, what was the methodology that they used to kind of capture this in the first place? 
So that's the interesting thing is that everyone thinks that there's some kind of beautiful detailed scan and those scans exist, but they exist in academia from reading various articles with the people who made the cathedral for Assassin's Creed Unity. As far as I know, there Ubisoft did not actually do a scan themselves uh, or itself rather uh, <laughs> Polygon AP guidelines companies do are not them. They are it. Anyway, uh, so there is one developer named Caroline Muse, who is a senior uh, level artist at Ubisoft at the time. She has since moved on, who's widely credited with building Notre Dame for Assassin's Creed Unity. And she did a freaking incredible job. And in interviews with her at Destructoid and on Ubisoft's blog, she talks about how she was working off of photos. She was working off of old blueprints. She was working off of books. She was uh, working off of conversations that she had with people who had been to the cathedral because she had never actually been to the cathedral herself. And she did not go to Notre Dame until after the game was out. And that was like an incredibly emotional experience for her. But she did not actually go while the game was being developed. And as far as I can tell from those descriptions, and Ubisoft did not offer anyone to me to interview, unfortunately, there's no scan that Ubisoft did to measure the cathedral. And in fact, in uh, in interviews after Notre Dame burned, Maxime, Maxime Durand, who is uh, an art historian who works with Ubisoft, he worked specifically on Unity as a consultant for Notre Dame and other things, he basically said it's this is a a work of artistic interpretation. It is not accurate. Um, and various other 3D specialists uh, that Le Monde, which is the newspaper uh, that this interview is and talked to, said what we're looking for when we scan Notre Dame is millimetric precision. And hmm. the game developers are looking to create a cohesive visual work of art. And essentially right. what they how they did that is that Caroline Meuse built the cathedral piece by piece from photos and various other artists and developers. Uh, there's a texture artist who I found on ArtStation, who I'll put in the show notes, created these beautiful stone textures and marble textures and glass textures that they put on the cathedral. But those don't actually correspond one-to-one with the measurements of the cathedral or what the cathedral specifically in our physical world looks like and the way that academics and uh, other researchers create more accurate scans is they basically go in uh, with lasers <laughs> and like laser mounted laser mounted drones and uh, cameras and they will bounce a laser f- off of the cathedral and basically map how long it takes the laser to get from the device to, uh, say, the stone wall or the floor or the ceiling or whatever, how long does the laser take to bounce to that thing and then back? And that measures the specific distance uh, of the cathedral and the layout of it. And that can get you an incredibly, incredibly detailed scan that has things like the millimetric, quote-unquote, precision that an architect might be looking for if they're trying to restore Notre Dame's roof. But the reason that that doesn't really apply to a video game as complex as Assassin's Creed Unity is and as beautiful as it is, is that that's not information that they need. A video game does not need to understand specifically, like, how have these stones shifted over the 800 years of this building being in existence? How is this Mm -hmm. side of the building maybe slightly tilted in a weird and unexpected way because the sun has caused the stones to expand on this hot day or the earth has shifted and settled in this certain way. That that information is useful to an architect. It does not matter to a video game and it doesn't matter when you're playing the video game. So that's a long-winded way of talking about the uh, the tech, some of the technology behind how the cathedral is made in game and how researchers are getting those measurements in real life. Right. So, so bottom line, this for us. So, um, it, it's two different technologies. You know, if you're trying to create the feel for it, like you would create a stone and some uh, normal mats for the cracks in the concrete, and you would throw a diffuse map over a concrete texture with the appropriate pattern in the geo, right? Like that's a game pipeline. So, mm-hmm. basically, if the 
Ubisoft data is based off of uh, basically what's available academically. Uh, like, where does that lead this reconstruction? Like, what's the best course of action for them? So they have, they're pretty much okay, is basically uh, <laughs> what I could say about that. So there is an organization uh, called CNRS, uh, CNRS. It is uh, basically the digital a group that is working on Notre Dame. Uh, they are currently, they are in the cathedral. They are scanning it right now. Um, and there are two, at least two, uh, I think many more, but two notable previous models uh, that are being used in the reconstruction. One is a laser scanned model uh, from a professor named Andrew Tellen, uh, originally from Vassar University, who unfortunately passed away in, I believe, 2018. But he spent years basically making what was at the time the most detailed model of the cathedral as it was. Um, there's another professor uh, from Germany named Stefan Albrecht, who had been in the cathedral from 2015 through 2018. And his team was studying the transept and the way that paint settles, you know, over, over years. And that's another, like, Ubisoft is not using LIDAR to study ancient medieval paint it's not their business they don't need to so i think they have other priorities they should be thinking about right now (laughs) Uh, albrecht's models are also being used and then again like i said there's a digital team who is in there uh photographing and scanning everything to this day um i talked to a professor uh, at the university of alabama named jennifer feltman uh, who is amazing And her expertise is basically in medieval sculpture um, and stonework. And she is actually, uh, she's involved in the restoration efforts. And she was so nice to me. Um, And she talked a bit about how, like, there are part of the issue with these scans, even as they are, like, incredibly powerful. And this is such wonderful technology uh, part of the problem with them is that there are there is still area for error in them because you you cannot put oh, yeah. a camera down in the middle of Notre Dame and scan the whole cathedral and be like, okay, we're good. You have to gather data from different locations in the cathedral. It ultimately has to be stitched together by yeah. you know a program or a human. There's room for error, and there are always judgments that be are, are being made when you go through that yep. process. And then with this huge, you know, data-rich model that potentially, that you know, again, this is a huge, huge building. And we're talking millimetric, like, da- laser data from the measurements of it. Like, this is a lot of, this is a big file, basically. These researchers, you know, it, it has to be opened by various different programs. It might not be accessible over the cloud because it's so big and unwieldy. Like, there there are a lot of problems um, when it comes to actually, like, how, how do we engage with this data? How do we use this data? How do we access this data? Um, which is why it's useful for so many models to exist and why it's useful to just have the photographs sometimes. Yeah, I, I don't know if you've ever yeah. done this, Simone, but the, the process of this is exactly like you said. It's judgment calls. You have to go over areas, and even using like a $4,000 scanner or even an mm-hmm. $8,000 scanner. You'll you'll sweep the geo and then it will stitch it together and then it will like fill it in and you'll have to go, okay, I can take this scan from here. Does it look better? A or B, Mm. A or B. And then you're rescanning and you're filling it in and you're painting, painting, painting. And that's hard enough to do when you're talking about something like a, like a car part. Yeah. Like that is a really complicated job that can take you a few hours. If you're talking out a whole building, I it's just a, it's a thing where just 100% accuracy is just it, it's simply not possible, right? And you're just going to have to you have to know that going in. Absolutely. That's 100% true. 100% accurate accuracy doesn't exist. And I think that's why my my major takeaway from this is that, like, I understand why people were compelled by this story. I understand, Mm -hmm. like, the attraction of, like, this 
Assassin's Creed game that was widely despised when it first came out because (laughs) of its various problems, which is it's having a renaissance right now. Like people are kind of warming up to it, which I like because, as you might know, I liked it more than Valhalla. But yeah, I I, I really liked Unity when it came out. I've always been on the Unity train. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Like it's a good narrative that the Assassin's Creed game that quote unquote everyone hates could help restore this cathedral that had this tragic thing happen to it. So it's very compelling. But ultimately, I think my huge takeaway was it's, A, this isn't the point of a video game. It does, this is a wonderful, valuable thing to do, but that's, it's an unrealistic burden to put on a video game. And it's not necessary. Like devoting the developer's attention to making sure that their Notre Dame was perfectly scientifically accurate would by necessity mean they weren't making it as fun and as beautiful as it could possibly be for people who are playing the game. And ultimately, it hasn't mattered because the perception that people have of the cathedral seven years after the game came out is, oh my God, you're right. It was so beautiful. It was so accurate. Of course they could use it. To restore the real cathedral. People have it, this false creation of the cathedral worked so well that people believe that it must be real and must be accurate. And that's the power, I think, of the art that the developers did with this game is they made a cathedral that was so like detail rich and beautiful and impressive that people think it must therefore be 100% accurate. You know what I say, Simone? I say, like, let's let's just make both camps happy here. Let's accept that we cannot recreate what was perfectly. So instead, <laughs> let's just like open up. Uh, l- let's open up a new part of Universal Studios and, and create Assassin's Creed Land, and then you can recreate Wait, this cathedral, Brianna, dude. There. Th- yes. They're actually doing this. They're actually oh doing God, this in France. Awesome. So I just saw a story this week. Um, yes. In Béziers, they're making a an, an Ubisoft amusement park that's going to have oh like God. interactive exhibits and stuff. Um, yes. Yeah. So it's happening. <laughs> I want a ride where I can sit in the Sistine Chapel with like a blade in my wrist and leap down and and murder somebody. Yeah, I want a hundred percent. I want. Give me a VR experience with like freaking bungee cords. I want. I <laughs> let me climb. Let me climb the thing. You know, I would be shocked if a like VR Notre Dame climbing simulator wasn't part of that because that feels like a real win for them. Anyway, um. So there's a ton more. If you're interested in uh, a watching the video or reading the piece, there's going to be a link in the show notes. And you can, of course, go to youtube.com slash polygon to see the video. It's going to be right there. Um, and I hope you like it because I th- like this was literally the center of the Venn diagram of all of my interests talking about <laughs> architecture and Assassin's Creed. <laughs> I really should have just assumed you wrote this and it was uh, it was a mistake on my yeah. part. <laughs> We have a lot of uh, viewers on the channel. You know, bef- if we don't have someone's face and a thumb, people will try to guess, like, who did it. The uh, <laughs> the track record of people guessing this was me because it had France, Assassin's Creed, and architecture in it was, it was like 100%. Easiest yeah. guessing game ever. So yeah. sorry to everyone who is disappointed by not being able to play the fun game. <laughs> <laughs> it would be like if there's an article on Polygon or, or somewhere else about a lobster heist to steal something lo- tr- like lobster trucks in Boston from a Porsche 911 <laughs> while EDM was playing or something like that. Like that, you know, okay, Brianna probably. Like, ah, that. yes, she was there. <laughs> <laughs> I would be. <laughs> Je telephone à la police. <laughs> All right. Well, now, well, speaking of Venn diagrams of interest, I feel like our second story today is kind of in your wheelhouse, it as is. it were. Before we go to it, though, yeah. can I just announce some fun? Because this is our fun show. Uh, there's some fun breaking news that just came out. So we'll keep the <gasps> next topic very short. But I've got to announce this to you. Uh, BioWare has finally acceded to the demands of fans. And there's something very special coming out this Friday that they've just announced uh, for fans out there of Mass Effect 2. Uh, you can go 
and you can finally get what we've wanted all these years, which is a Thane body pillow. <gasps> you can get a Thane oh my God. anime body pillow on the BioWare gear store, and that's going to be for sale on Friday. So breaking news, Simone, do you think I can get away with just seven of these? Just seven of them? I don't know. That seems unrealistic. Okay. 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 Uh, say 15, just to be okay. safe. Because I, I need I need redundancies. Of course. Yes. Okay. Great. Yeah. Back, you don't know what work, could happen. Let's go back to the show. <laughs> you you have many dogs. Something bad could happen. <laughs> All right. Back Rocket, to the show. Rocket could also turn out to be a Thane fan. Oh, we don't. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, this second topic is about Peloton and Peloton alikes. There's a great story in The Verge today from Victoria's Song about the growing pains that this premium home uh, fitness category is facing as it continues to grow and there continue to be more people entering the market. And of course, we have entered and exited the pandemic, a period where a lot of people were working out at home and then maybe less people were working out at home. Uh, she specifically targets the problems that consumers are beginning to face with the uh, with some of the software. Uh, so a lot of these companies, of course, have their proprietary hardware and then their proprietary software. And Victoria Song points out with uh, Hydro's rowing machine, uh, if you use the app and don't have the hardware, you can only record metrics from a hydro rower that you purchased. So you can't use that app uh, and input metrics from another rowing machine or from even another hydro rower that is not yours. Um, to use any other kind of fitness programs on a Peloton bike, you have to jailbreak it. Uh, Soul Cycle bikes, you can install Netflix and Disney Plus but you have to subscribe to Equinox Plus to do so. And then other Peloton competitors are seeing problems when they face off against Peloton in court. So over at Flywheel, Flywheel purchasers were kind of screwed when Flywheel lost a patent dispute with Peloton. Uh, and their $2,000 bikes were bricked because Peloton argued that their leaderboard system and successfully argued that their leaderboard system was too similar to Peloton's. Uh, Peloton is also filing lawsuits against iFit and Echelon. Uh, so it, it is potentially a very tricky market to fit into if you are a consumer and maybe you don't want the security of something like <laughs> Peloton, which I, I guess as we, we've covered previously this year, isn't always secure because they've had problems with their, their treadmills uh, being recalled after uh, children were and pets were injured uh, when Killed. the treadmill was left I mean. unattended in the room with them. Um, but smaller, smaller home fitness brands uh, are potentially more more temporary than you might want or more unstable than you might want when you're investing $2,000 and a subscription fee in a piece of hardware and an app. Uh, so it, it is an interesting place for that whole market to be in, especially as people begin potentially renewing their gym memberships and um, and leaving the home once again. Brianna, I know you are our like resident Peloton <laughs> lover. You do love your Peloton. I do. Um, I'm part of the cult. I have strong feelings. Yeah. What did you What did you think about the story and like the state of the home fitness industry? I I think it's fair criticism. You know, nobody likes to see uh, giant corporations going after startups on patent disputes. Uh, you know, it just makes me it it feels gross, right? It feels like winning through cheating. Uh, but, you know, we do award patents in the United States, and uh, this is one of those things where it's asymmetrical warfare. If one company doesn't do it, someone else will. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, that's kind of the situation for Peloton. I think the entire patent system needs a, a incredible reform. Um, you know, Peloton ultimately wants to be 
a monopoly. Um, and we are eventually going to see them move into some of these other spaces, like with Mirror. I'm sure if Mirror doesn't just get bought with Peloton, they're going to bring out their own strength product soon. There are hints in the code already for a rowing machine that Peloton may be coming out with. Ooh. So, you know, it's like um, the the people that buy Peloton, like uh, I, if I didn't already own a uh, a treadmill, uh, I would get a tread because it's a good treadmill. And I, I think we want more of these things to come out. So I think they're they're really just playing hardball with these smaller companies and really tapping into the kind of loyalty people like me have because uh, it's a better deal. Like if I have mm-hmm. a Peloton subscription for the bike, the tread classes are free. And you know when they come out with the rower, the rower classes will be free as well. So for me, it's best if there's only one game in town if that makes sense to you uh and you know it's also worth saying like peloton has seen their stock price really get hammered very hard as people have started to go back to uh, a traditional gym as uh mm-hmm. even though the pandemic's not over uh some people feel like it's over yeah. <laughs> and are going back to the rest of their life so um you know i i see us as a company like a corporation doing the squirrely stuff that we hate corporations for right yeah, I, I have some questions, I guess, about the app stuff, because as a, a non Peloton or non, I guess, home fitness user, except for the Ring Fit from Nintendo, oh. which I love. Hey, that's legit. That's legit. Is there actually an appeal to, say, using an app from one of these companies and I guess subscribing to their lessons without purchasing the hardware because that was something that didn't necessarily make sense to me why would someone want to do that or do you think people want to do that I, I do that. Think think about this. I have a Life Fitness 92i treadmill uh, that's worth about $20,000 that I got for a few thousand dollars, right? It's a great treadmill. How many people have a $20,000 treadmill in their house? And when I do a run class, I just use my Peloton subscription to sign into it. Oh, okay. So a lot of people would want to do that if you already have existing gym equipment, right? Or if you think that the Peloton stuff is overpriced. I don't think it is, but uh, you know, you can certainly go buy a uber cheap bike off Amazon or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or if you have a really nice bike, you can hook up your own resistance to it. So um, yeah, there's some people that feel that's a it's a good deal to make. Okay. Okay. So the scenario of somebody like subscribing to a Peloton app or I guess the, mm-hmm. the Soul Cycle app, for example, or the Hydro app, and then not have, being able to record their scores in the case of Hydro, yeah. that's a that's a real thing. Yeah, not that I'm counting Victoria's do song, I, obviously, but this is mystifying. I barely to me. even use the leaderboard. I yeah. don't even do live classes. It's the thing you you do it because of the instructors and the quality of the the hardware, okay. right? Like Peloton is magic for the same reason Apple is magic because there's very tight integration between the hardware and the software. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very coherent experience. Like you get on the bike, you tap your Apple watch to the screen and your heart rate is on screen the entire time you're riding. That's fairly magical in hiring the best instructors in the entire business. So yeah, I think it's it's really a question like Peloton is seeing their market share shrinking. Their stock price is really getting hammered. And I think it's causing them to you know, play hardball with all these smaller fitness companies. And let's be honest, it's going to be good for them if they can knock them down in price enough to gobble them up and acquire them. So mm-hmm. you know, Peloton ultimately wants to be a monopoly. And uh, you know, as we saw with the entire tread recall, uh, they are not above doing some really shady things when yeah. it's in their best business interest. Yeah. Um, to get to put some numbers on this, because uh, this is also covered in the article. So 20, th- this blew my mind, actually. 2020, the, the end of 2019, rather, Christmas, that was when the Peloton ad that everyone made fun of came out, mm-hmm. where the guy gets the bike for his wife. And she makes like a thank you video for him that looks like she's being held hostage about how much she loves working <laughs> out on the bike. And everyone was making fun of them. And then the pandemic hit, obviously. And everyone was like, 
wait, I want to work out in my home. Um, And that was actually 2020 was the first year that they posted a profit because they had so many, so many purchases um, and also subscriptions to the app. They started offering a 90 day free trial and people signed up for that and then subscribed. Um, And then this year that has kind of turned around apparently uh, with just, you know, A, the tread recall, um, sales not going as quickly uh, because, you know, some people are going back to the gym. They're not saying, oh, my God, facing another year of working out of my home. I better spend $2,000 on a bike, etc. Um, so now they're, like Bree said, their stock is uh, taking a hit and they're not reporting the same profits that they were in 2020, which is can, can I add one thing yes, here really quickly, do. though? Something I feel is really underreported here is the supply chain issues uh, really affecting Peloton. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you go to the Peloton boards, people will buy a bike and they'll find out they're getting it like months and months Oof. and months later. And, you know, that problem has just gotten worse and worse and worse, which is why Peloton, you know, invested like $400 million in like a factory here in the United States to try mm-hmm. to uh, address that as best as they can. Uh, you know, they are giving amazing uh, uh, sellback prices on bikes just because they need to refurbish them and get them out the door again. So yeah. um, I, I, I think there's a storyline here that people want to believe about Peloton failing, and there is some truth there. But it's also true that they are getting hammered, just like the car businesses, just like a lot of other businesses are. Yes. And then another stat from this article is that they do have a 92% retention rate, which is huge. Mm-hmm. So people who are getting the equipment do like it. Uh, But another thing that she touches on is just the difficulty of if you wanted to resell this equipment, the difficulty that there would be because of like the registration and all these apps and these warranties and things. So you're saying that Peloton is offering a a smooth resale system for their own refurbishment. You know, now that that's really important, Simone, because I'm thinking about when I upgraded to the bike plus, they gave me a really good deal on my old bike. As mm-hmm. I understand it, they will take your bike back. And I thought I read somewhere that there are programs for them to buy your bike back from them. But even if Peloton won't, there's a very, very, very healthy uh, secondary market for these. I mm-hmm. mean, if you list it on Facebook, it will sell very, very quickly. So, um I, I think it's like a Porsche, right? Like if there's a huge market out there for people that want this yeah. and people that actually want several for their home. So, uh, you know, cause people like taking group classes together. Yeah, so yeah. I, I, I think you could sell this, uh, objectively if you wanted to. Okay. That's interesting. Um, well, what do you think? Cause I, I am of the camp that like, even though Peloton's having a hard time right now, um, I do think, we're going to continue to see them thrive. I don't know so much about the more, the more recent startups. Like obviously Mir has a, a ton of, of funding going on. I see those ads all over the subway. Um, Hydro and Tonal and Equinox and Nordic Track are all competitors. Um, obviously Equinox and Nordic Track are their own established brands elsewhere. So it makes sense. But do you think for for people looking to get into home fitness hardware, do you think that there there, there is a risk for choosing a smaller company uh, that isn't like Peloton, Nordic Track? Etc. I I do I do I mean for a long time I thought my Peloton bike was going to be useless in a few years because yeah. before the pandemic it looked like they were going to die so uh, I I think there is that risk um, but you know you, you take that with all startup equipment right mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned Nordic Track uh, yeah like their their stuff sucks I have a Nordic Track rower mm-hmm. and the iFit uh, app on it and the iFit classes are garbage compared to Peloton. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think you take these one at a time as they come out, but you know, right now, if I'm betting $2,000 on something, it's going to be the, uh, the sure bet personally. Yeah. 
So I thought we'd take a little moment before we go into our dessert segment to talk a bit about uh, stuff that we're thankful for in 2021, <laughs> if there is anything. Um, I should mention that if you are a Relay FM subscriber, you're going to get a, a fun newsletter about what everyone at Relay FM is thankful for in 2021. And of course, if you are not, you can find out more about that at relay.fm slash membership. But we're doing it just for you and just the two of us. Christina's opinion is secret. No one can ever know it. <laughs> um, Brianna, have you given some thoughts to anything, literally anything you might be thankful for in 2021? Well, of course. You know, I've been stuck in the same house with Frank for, my God, a year and a half now, right? And I think your marriage really has to be good for you to be able to spend that much time with someone and not want to murder them. <laughs> But, you know, I, you know, I'm in a really good marriage and, uh, you know, Frank has been a lot of fun, frankly, to survive this pandemic with. So uh, I think more than anything, the last two years have really made me appreciative of my marriage. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's literally the most important thing in my life. That is really nice. I should have <laughs> put that much thought into this. Uh, I think I, I'm I'm really grateful for my roommate and the group of friends that I have now who have like continued to find ways to be social like outside throughout the past couple years and then starting now like inside as well um, and who are really good about forcing me personally to get out of the house because I've definitely fallen into a rut where I don't do that as much as I would like to. Um and I'm glad that I uh, got to see both of my parents this last year. Oh, that's good stuff for me. That's very sweet. Yeah. And I'm grateful for Xbox Game Pass. Because <laughs> it's a really good That's product. a good segue. That's a good segue. Have you played uh, Halo Infinite on that I yet? have. I have. <laughs> uh, so Halo Infinite's multiplayer surprise dropped last week. We've been streaming it over on Polygon's Twitch channel the last couple weeks. Um, but the most important story that you will read about Halo Infinite oh came out God. as part of Polygon's Halo Vember package today. And wait, it's about wait, how Master Chief time. Halo, Halo Vember. Vember? <laughs> okay. Halo it's I'll Halo Vember. It. Okay. No, that's that's what we call it. it I just it wanted is. to make sure. That's what we've always called it. Mm. Anyway, this is this piece is about how Master Chief pees. And by extension, how the rest of the Spartans pee as well. And this is hard-hitting journalism from uh, reporter (laughs) Mike McWhorter uh, referencing both um, Bungie's own lore and, well, now not Bungie, but... (laughs) um, And then also the Halo novels, uh, which have confirmed... That, in fact, all of the Spartans are just cathetered right into their suits. Oh and God. much like Dune's still suits, the pee is being collected by the suit and recycled. And I think that that's beautiful. And if you, you haven't heard this before, my God, I hope you remember you first heard about it from me. Well, first of all, Simone, I I hope you're proud to work at Polygon with hard-hitting investigative pieces like this. You know, when I think about what makes journalism journalism, it's an adversarial relationship to power. And y'all did this. Like, you went to Bioware, boom, you you had the hard questions, ready to go. You went into the novels, you you did, you went through stacks of document, like uh, Woodward and Bernstein. I mean, you you are hardcore on this. So uh, I just want to salute you for a very thorough investigative job on this. Thank you. Uh, I, I really appreciate this because <laughs> we had an explainer go up, I think, earlier this year about Dune, uh, specifically Susanna Polo, who had read oh the books, God. was like, so we all know that the still suits in Dune recycle everyone's pee and poop because moisture is super important on Arrakis and they don't want to waste it. So the suits are just constantly like taking your sweat and pee and rehydrating you with them. And that was a, obviously a wonderful educational piece. And since then, we've really built that kind of coverage (laughs) into the foundation of Polygon following up on that when the Dune movie came out and now confirming that the Halo, the Spartan suits also do that wonderful thing. So 
frankly, I, I do consider this to be just part of our editorial DNA now. And I'm super yeah. glad that you've recognized that because that means yeah. that our work is a, is getting to where it needs to be and touching people right in their hearts. I want, I want articles on Iron Man. What does Iron Man do? Does he pee like, in it? Like, I bet he does. Does he? Does he? How Batman, else would you? Yeah, Batman's trying to like fight the Joker yeah. and, and, and the Riddler at the same time. Like, does he... Does he take a break? I mean, that's a it's a complicated mechanism to get in and out of that. Here's so my I, I, theory. Yeah. I think that Batman's suit probably does recycle his pee or at least collect it and dispose of it later. I think mm-hmm. judging by how Iron Man's face uh, mask works, like in the film, it kind of like in a very fancy tech way folds up into itself. I think Iron Man does not have the same problem that the Spartans would or that Batman would if they had to pee in the suit, which is namely that it would be very difficult to get out of. We've seen Iron Man exit his suit very easily. There's no reason for me to believe that Iron Man couldn't have a similar retracting panel in the groin that would allow him to pee. Um, so that's, I think that that is what Iron Man does, but I think you're spot on that Batman probably pees in the suit. Well, you know, I, I can only, you know, I'm not a primary source on this No, and you gotta go knock on some doors and get some answers. Simone. We're going to be pounding so. the shoe leather as it were. <laughs> that's what people say, right? I'm sure they do. Yes. Yes, they do. They do. All right. Hey, Brianna, what are you doing this week? Uh, I'm recovering. If y'all can't uh, hear from my voice, uh, I'm a little, <laughs> I'm a little weak this week. Uh, I had uh, a uh, repair done on my uh, meniscus. Uh, there's general anesthesia involved, and I'm still kind of coming back to it. I'm fine. I'm not going to be on crutches this time, but I am sleeping a lot, and my throat is incredibly sore. So uh, I'm still getting back from that. So uh, I'm recovering this week and continuing to enjoy. Cowboy Bebop, which I wish you had watched because we could have talked about it on this episode. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think you'd be really into Spike. My best friend loves it. I think you're a spike asexual. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I learned recently that John Cho is 49. That upset what? me. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. freaking true. Uh, I'd, I'd hit it. I mean, yeah. Of course. <laughs> you know, there we go. He looks... Incredible. Uh, I am, I'm baking, (laughs) first of all, this week. I'm baking and then I'm gaming. I'm getting back to all the games that I had to stop playing because I already loved them and they were on my list. Um, I've been playing Let's Build a Zoo and it freaking rules, y'all. It is a zoo management sim with a morality mechanic. Uh, (laughs) And yes, it is ridiculous and it is very funny. Uh, and if you is the morality just it's not moral to run a zoo period because that's I mean... kind of my opinion <laughs> that is part of the commentary of the game but also there's like scenarios where the mob will come to you and be like hey can we uh feed this body to your lions and if you can <laughs> if you say yes obviously you get some negative morality or you can say put a lot of wind turbines in your zoo and get some positive morality and then be able to release some of your geese because you have a lot of them because you forgot to put contraception in your geese pen and now they are breeding furiously and everyone is judging you for having so many geese um just to pull up just scenario that hasn't happened to me out of thin air (laughs) it's a really good game uh it's just like forcibly forcing contraceptives on like geese is what does that do for your morality it is is good because it keeps them happy i'm sure okay yeah. Okay. Um, uh, yeah. Might want to unpack that, but okay. I we'll will go with never. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Brianna, where can we find you online? Wait, before we do yeah. that, I got to ask you, you played Forza. You played oh, Forza yeah. and you told me the only car you could drive while there was uh, one of the Porsche. So I want to know which one. And I also want to know what you thought of Forza 5. I think it was the oh god I remember you did ask me this and I thought I better figure out what for what Porsche <laughs> this is. I think it was the 311. Um it's just There's it's no one of the first cars that you get in the okay. game. Uh, okay. 
and it's beautiful. Uh, I really <laughs> enjoyed it. I am terrible, terrible at this game. And I did not uh, expect to be quite so bad at it because, like, I like driving uh, both in real life and, say, in games like Need for Speed or, like, the uh, arcade games that you have on the ferry, Cruising USA. I consider myself good at those. Um, I'm pretty terrible at Forza, so I would love any tips you have on not to make my car fishtail out. Um, but the game is really, really, really gorgeous. And I had a lot of fun just saying, screw it, I'm not racing anymore. And just <laughs> hammering down on the gas pedal and driving as far as I could, sometimes straight up mountains. Um, very good. Very good. So the best uh, advice I have for that game is always pick the recommended car. You really get punished to the point that you frequently cannot win races if you're not driving one of the cars they recommend. So mm. uh, in order to get a library of cars that large, uh, you kind of really have to exploit the game in a lot of different ways. So uh, you know, that and learning to drive the racing line, uh, that's really all you need to do and you'll you'll rarely miss okay. a race okay 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 and i have to like <laughs> break sometimes right uh i barely break i you usually barely just break the- okay yeah. i need to i need to have what you're having <laughs> i'll t- okay this is this is heartening for me i hate breaking um <laughs> There, you know, there's a whole technique where you don't break at all and you wait for your opponent to turn around the turn and then you aim at them like you're a police car doing a pit stop <laughs> and you run into the back of them and knock them off the course and then the crash like gets you to go around the, t- the turn with a lot of what? energy and then you just slingshot ahead in first place. Okay, I'm going to do that. I'm going to learn yeah. this because Game Pass, again rules um and that's just a ridiculously huge gorgeous game to have essentially for free so i'll I'll try your technique i'll report back where can we find you online uh you can find me online at twitter.com at brian Wu. awesome you can find me on twitter and instagram at doom quasar and at youtube.com slash polygon where you can learn more about notre dame cathedral uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Rocket. Uh, tweet at us. Let us know what you're thankful for for Thanksgiving. Um, and, of course, we are incredibly thankful when you review the podcast on Apple Podcasts because that helps other people find the show as well. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Have a wonderful weekend. This episode of Rocket is terminated. 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 Terminated.